Hello and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at the University of Western Ontario. I'm your host, Brittany Melton. And I'm your co-host, Laura Muñoz. And today we are joined with Hugh Samson, who is a PhD student in Library and Information Science. Hugh, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Ah, we're really excited to have you, Hugh. This has been a while building up, has it not, Laura? It has, it has. <laughs> we're excited to have you finally. So with that, let's hop into it. So Hugh, you're finishing up your first year here at Western, correct? Yes. Okay, so would you mind getting us started with a little bit about what your research is looking like at this moment? That's an excellent question, Brittany. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, what my research is like at the moment. So I'm broad, I would say broadly, my research looks at the, is grounded and sort of situated at the intersection of information and contemplation, or what might also be thought of as mindfulness and technology. This stems in particular from my master's research. And now I'm kind of exploring these ideas more broadly within the context of library and information studies. And in particular, these days, I think a lot about ideas of balance and equilibrium in response to some of the feelings of stress and acceleration and overload that people often describe feeling today. And so, yeah, I would say broadly, these are, this is the turf that I'm in with the moving forward, the intention of kind of nailing down a specific project to start more explicitly exploring this area as a PhD project. That's a uh very a very nice introduction of your general topic now i would like to know if you have something like more a specific question that you would like to respond or like specific topic that you would like to dig into or is it like a general expert explorations about exploration about how these terms relate with media yeah so my master of information thesis i so what's tricky is i'm kind of like going backwards a bit because i think so much of what i'm doing now is informed by my master's research uh, i did a thesis at the university of toronto where i looked at the introduction of mindfulness and meditation mindfulness meditation and yoga um, resources and digital physical textual within academic libraries to support student mental health and this really kind of informed where I'm at now and what are the kinds of questions that I'm asking. So at the time, I developed this idea of looking looking at the different kinds of tools that people use as a type of infrastructure and that maybe we could think of it as a form of like mindful infrastructure or contemplative infrastructure, like, the, like a, a type of infrastructure that supports attention, mindfulness, quiet, focus. And so that's that work brings me to the present where I think one thing I could do, for instance, is look at similar kinds of uh, initiatives and programs in universities to see how students are responding to them. So that would be one option. And I'm actually working at the moment as a research assistant on a project that uh, basically is looking at asking the question, does mindfulness, practicing mindfulness, alleviate stress so as to promote learning and what might be described as feedback literacy? 
that being the ability to uptake and process and enact feedback within academic and work settings. So that could be another way where I would participate in answering those questions or even design my own study around the team who are interdisciplinary researchers here at Western to kind of ask questions about why they're doing it. Like, what are they seeing in a student population that they think this is an important topic worth studying? Um, but then I also think about doing theoretical work around, you know, ideas of informational balance, which maybe could be construed of as a, on a personal level and an individual level that people are trying to strive to achieve that for themselves. But what would it look like to have balance on a more broader political and social level um, on with respect to institutions and even people's engagement with social media and internet? That part, I would say there are less specific questions because that's I'm kind of wading into the broad theoretical realm, which I feel that like just this wild world of ideas. Mm. So I want to take us back a second and go a little broader. So when you were talking about attention and looking at attention and then where, where that goes bleeds into, I guess, mindfulness and mindful practice, is that is that like, would you call that a, a modern problem, I guess? Because I know you're in information and in information science and I'm in media studies. So I feel like that's really our crossing point is that me, the in, intervention of media seems to be a catalyst for lack of attention. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think some people would say there is just so much. So like, um, I, wouldn't, I don't know if I would use the word onslaught, but there's just like so much information, media, whatever we want to call it, moving towards people these days. And quickly. And very quickly. And so some people would say that, yes, this leads to... Um, distraction to um, lack of focus like but then also people thinking that uh, so that becoming normalized also that multitasking is more efficient and better than single focus when in fact there have been a number of studies that suggest that maintaining one's attention and doing tasks calmly and one at a time is actually more productive than multitasking um, I think yes I think about there are ways in which I think potentially it was easier to maintain attention and focus in the past that some people would say as we enter into more of a information society, media society, that people's ability to maintain that focus or attention is dissipating given the context that we live in. And just, I mean, think of having a, your cell phone with you or email, you know, we're constantly being pinged and distracted from all angles in a way that that would not have necessarily happened to people 20, 30 years ago, like where they're being contacted by friends and family and updates and so on, you know, all throughout the day, there, there would have been some distractors, some, some elements, or they could have been reached in some ways, but not to this extent. And then also the need that people feel to respond to all of those things um, in a way that's also quite intense. That's uh, very cool because it makes me go into two different way, uh, like aspects. So the first one is you mentioned that we are now very exposed to the extractions, but I also feel like it's more unlikely that uh, uh, 
previous humans will be able to get access to quiet spaces mm -hmm. as we do now. Uh, because if you're, for example, a nomad living in a forest, then you have distractions such as a depredator mm -hmm. or uh, something's falling out of a tree, of a tree, or like a storm. There's storm will come. Like there are many possible interruptions to the, your daily life because you don't have shelter, for example. So you don't have a quiet place where to be located. Whether now we have access to that, and that brings me to your master thesis where you mentioned that you uh, thought about ideas of how to provide mindful spaces for students. So now I'm wondering with this research uh, where you uh, might try to evaluate how those uh, spaces might impact uh, actually concentration, how do you, how will you plan to have such an, a research? How do you imagine uh, this type of uh, research being performed? Yeah. So what what was interesting with my at least speaking to my master's thesis, where I, in this case, I interviewed students and faculty members and librarians about their interactions with these kinds of spaces and resources. And what I learned interestingly was a number of students want spaces and want the opportunity to be quiet and reflective. What's interesting is like libraries are increasingly becoming social spaces where people go to study publicly, to study socially. There's actually a lot happening within libraries. And I think that's fine if that's what people prefer, um, if they're collaborative and so on. But some people still really do want quiet, focused spaces. And what was interesting in this context was that many people said that having dedicated resources and space there gave them, allowed them to feel the permission that they could just sit quietly for a few minutes, that they could meditate if they wanted to, they could bring those resources into kind of corners of the library or into study rooms. Um, they appreciate learning about this topic. So I guess maybe one way to say is that um, in this particular context, I used ethnographic methods, participant observation, interview, um, writing field notes as one method to study the introduction. And I mean, there would be, uh, as a next step, it could be utilizing similar methods, but looking at multiple initiatives to see the impacts more broadly. Because I think what's interesting, at least in Canada, we are seeing greater and greater interest amongst library staff, but even more broadly within the education system. So prior to studying in library, library studies, I was in educational studies. Many, many schools now are also beginning to introduce mindfulness, practices and resources to students, to staff, also to help with staff burnout. So not only students, but feelings of stress and overwhelm experienced by staff, faculty. And so a broader initiative could look at those resources as they're being introduced, or like, for example, surveys. We actually, there have been surveys done of different libraries looking at the introduction of mindfulness and yoga practices. So that's another mechanism. Um, and then to kind of also just ask questions about like, why is this happening? Like what's happening in society that these developments are occurring, which I think is really interesting. Like why, 
are people feeling this need to access these resources at this particular time and place? So what are the broader social aspects? Like what's happening that people both want to introduce these programs and want to use them or resources, programs, practices, and so on. So I think, and there's a whole other element of many of these resources can also be used and are being used, for example, meditation spaces by students who are themselves religious or spiritual and who want to have quiet places, for example, to pray. Or, you know, so this is also part of this broad conversation where I'm, I'm talking broadly about mindfulness and meditation, but similarly, students engage in specific types of prayer, depending on their faith, and would also like to have quiet spaces to do such practices. So also, how, how are universities, libraries, schools supporting people engaging in such practices that are important and meaningful to them? So I feel like before we continue we definitely need to define what mindfulness is <laughs> because for someone who might not be very like uh, connected with the term can be confusing or can sound strange, right? So I would like you to define as what, what mindfulness is so we can have a grasp of why is it important. Also with that, I think it will go hand in hand, but I would love Hugh, your recommendation for a mindful practice. Sure. I feel like those two go together. So sure. start with the definition. <laughs> sure. So I probably, okay. Mindfulness is complex in terms of defining it, because I think there are many possible definitions that people have put forward. So that's the first thing. So before I provide what is the most popular definition, I think it's important to recognize that there are many, many people would interpret it differently. Within long, complex origins, you know, so mindfulness emerges, like ideas of mindfulness are connected to ideas of meditation that emerge from really specific spiritual practices, but also potentially spiritual practice, like the word mindfulness, as it relates to ideas of focus and attention, um, many different traditions encourage that kind of focus and attention and mindfulness through different practices. So across cultures, across millennia. So to offer like one definition, the risk is that it potentially cuts out a lot of that richness and so on. So I just want to preface my answer with that. Fair. Yeah. Um, so in the present moment, many people or the most popular defi definition would be that of paying attention on purpose to the present moment. And this is uh, generally associated with the work of John Kabat-Zinn. So John Kabat-Zinn is a very well-known, um, he's actually, I believe, a biologist or chemist by training, but who developed the first mindfulness-based stress reduction program, where he took ideas of mindfulness and meditation and framed them within a broader therapeutic paradigm as a means of teaching people like stress coping skills. And this happened in Massachusetts, I believe in the 70s, 80s, uh, as part of his work at a stress clinic. So that is the po very popular definition, but then people might describe it as like an attribute, mindfulness as an attribute of consciousness or a state of consciousness that can be um, encouraged to develop, that it can be trained, that so a person 
is mindful and that they can continue to be, they can practice mindfulness. Um, yeah, so I would say that, does that, is that a sufficiently clear definition yeah, no, for now? Yeah, that's super helpful, actually. Yeah. So kind of being present, being attentive in what they would be described as a non-judgmental way. So almost a pre-conscious just being, just existing, being mindful would be how people would think of it. Um, in terms of a mindfulness practice, people would say, I think broadly, many people who work in mindfulness in this area would say that people can do anything mindfully, mm. any practice. So people could engage in, you know, washing the dishes mindfully. Um, meditating would be a clear, like focusing on one object, holding it, whether it's the breath, whether it is um, one's posture, whether it is an external object that one is thinking about and focusing on to the, um, to the, to, with the intention of not being attentive to other things. So I would say like the breath is a very common when one is meditating, that's mm. kind of what one would focus on or one's posture. Um, I personally engage in a lot of walking meditation. Some might call it mindful walking. Mm -hmm. I think of it as walking meditation because I very specifically follow the same paths with the intention of avoiding distraction. It's usually by the river here in London. Um, typically, like not with music, not checking my phone. It's really about just walking and moving with that intention of not not necessarily engaging in that active planning thinking it's just a chance to kind of let the mind clear mm -hmm. and so then with that um so earlier you're talking about multitasking versus single tasking mm -hmm. so then single tasking would also then be an example of a mindful practice if you were to do your task singularly with the purpose of being mindful of it yeah that's i think exactly what people would say okay. i mean there, there might be questions then of like so this is where it gets tricky is like what's the task because there have been studies done where for example mindfulness training has been initiated with for example soldiers mm -hmm. or officers and but the training has often been done with the intention of helping people remain calm under pressure um, so as to not make mistakes, to not do things that they would not like to do under high stress situations. But there has been some pushback also about like, are people being trained to be more efficient soldiers and potentially would that cause harm to other people? Um, so it's so there's complexity, but I would mm -hmm. say, you know, the type of task that you're thinking of, like if it's focusing on like writing, yeah, would be, you know, and, and typically like writing for many different spiritual traditions has been considered a means of developing attention and focus, like reading and writing for many spiritual traditions. Like if you can imagine people like copying text over and over again, like it becomes very meditative, very contemplative. Um, so those kinds of tax tasks are generally associated with mindful practice. Very interesting. So with your previous uh, comment, I think that uh, brings us to the balance topic, mm. because you did mention that another interest of you, interest of you is uh, the more theoretical part that is also related with balance. And I would like 
uh, you to talk us about it a, a little bit because you did mention that mindfulness can be used for this other stuff like military resource uh so why why did you start started thinking about balance and first of all what does it mean of course mm -hmm. we always need definitions are important and then uh how are you planning to approach to that uh, area okay so so this is newer so i think my definitions will be a little bit less clear and i i might be a little bit less certain about this topic but i will try my best um yeah i think so balance is interesting because the idea of balance also has its own history i was actually i've been reading over the past few weeks or months a book about the history of balance how balance is an idea that has a history but what's interesting the author his name is joel k has a very unique perspective that balance is different from many ideas because it forms the background to many other ideas. So even as it was emerging within medieval thought as an idea of interest, it was often in the background, not being talked about really explicitly, um, but forming the ground within which many other ideas are discussed. And if you can, yeah, so uh, that's, I think, fascinating. Um, and then there's, you know, we can wonder whether that's still occurring today. And so in terms of a definition, I think he offers an interesting one that is relates to the idea of um, like a cluster or a constellation of objects or forces existing in a relational field, kind of in, so the, in relation to one another, and being kind of maintained in equilibrium. So there's a way in which, um, so, so balance can be both a noun in terms of, and like imagine an object as a balance. So it can be a more, um, yeah, something that is kind of grounded as an object, but also in, as an action. So to balance something. So we engage in acts of balancing, in which case then we would think about objects or forces being in balance. Um, so I don't think that's an excellent definition, but I think, you know, this is where I'm at right now. And how I would study it. I mean, I, so I think what's interesting, during my studies so far, I've encountered a very interesting idea of informational balance. And this idea was put forward by a student who wrote her own dissertation. She was looking at ideas of slowness as an approach, like to being slow, to being attentive as a means of dealing with information overload and acceleration. She put forward the idea of informational balance, suggesting that people in their everyday lives are trying to achieve a state of informational balance by managing flows of information that we are engaged in this process, whether we are conscious of it or not, on a daily basis to achieve some sense of informational balance. Where I think I might pick up this idea and run with it is potentially would be to look at, well, what does that mean for institutions? What does that mean on a social and political level? What, for example, like if a library, if we would think of a library as an information institution, 
and librarians as information professionals, how could they help people achieve a sense of informational balance? Or what would it be like for an institution like a, a university to prioritize balance or equilibrium as opposed to kind of overload and acceleration in the lives of the people that are affiliated with it? And when you think about things like something Western has done recently, um, offering employees the, the time or the space, basically creating a policy, kind of the right to disconnect at a certain time, you know, not feeling the need to answer and to always be here. So this has actually been also legislated recently on the provincial level in Ontario, like the right to disconnect um, with the Working for Workers Act. So I wonder if we could frame or think about those kinds of concerns as being reflective of questions or ideas around informational balance or information equilibrium, like helping people feel like they can have a more balanced life, work-life balance, and so on. So, but because I think some of these ideas are newer within information studies, it means actually spelling them out and asking, you know, what, what do these things mean? And what would it mean, what would it look like to talk about balance on a broader social political level. And then also to think of it that it, informational balance should not just be something experienced by privileged people, but like if we're talking about what would that look like for many people, you know, for everyone. Okay, so with that, Hugh, I'm kind of curious how mindfulness or, or balance, I guess, comes into your own life. You're a student, you're an RA, and you, uh, as someone who works in the same office as you, I know that you do practice balance in your own life. So what does that look like? Yeah, I mean, I think that on a daily basis, I try to prioritize first and foremost, kind of being a productive, decent person in a way that um, I try to avoid distractions to maintaining being that person. So knowing that, I think living in a society where I think we all need to do our fair share and not in the sense of the kind of neoliberal, always productive person, you know, working ourselves to death kind of way, but really, you know, I think being members of society, we really owe we, I believe, something to our communities. And so kind of doing that in a way that tries to avoid being distracted, but also to try to maintain and be able to sustain that over time, mm -hmm. um, rather than feeling like a start-stop um, motion and feeling like I'm burning out in doing it. And so trying to, do, trying to engage in helpful, productive behavior while also feeling well. I think becomes the objective for me. Slow and steady wins the race. Yes. Okay. That would be a good way of putting it. Interesting. Because typically on the on the grandcast, we end by asking for our our person, our guest to share their social media with us. But I know that you don't have social media, correct? Yes. Because that is one way that you also include ba balancing information intake in your life, correct? Yes. So I, I have, 
I mean, I have to confess, I have like very minimal social media usage, but not in a public fashion. It's really just to keep in touch with kind of family and friends very um, behind the, not behind the scenes, but just to do so in a way, I think it's impossible not to connect with social media these days to mm -hmm. be present at, at all. Um, so there's a little bit there, but I certainly do not spend time scrolling, posting mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. And you're right. I think it's just we have so much coming at us and the need to, like, I mean, if we think about the idea of informational balance, that idea of how much am I going to put out and how much am I going to take in on a regular basis, I know that I have to generate a certain amount of meaningful, like, academic writing, but also to consume a certain amount of meaningful academic writing on a daily basis. And the reality is I cannot spend much time if I'm going to do that. And I'm also going to stay abreast of like what are some of the important issues that are happening in the world. And then with people I care about, I don't have the bandwidth for scrolling and random posting of things. Absolutely. And so I definitely try to streamline my intake so as to just feel a little bit more relaxed but for some people that might be meaningful to them so you know I'm not here to judge this is just what one of the mechanisms that I have found mm -hmm. to have a more balanced life oh my gosh the word again <laughs> it's the best word Absolutely. I think that it really um it is I think a really good way for us to think about as students ourselves how we situate ourselves within academia, within our own lives, and where we find that balance, because it is very hard to turn off. It's very hard to mitigate how much information we take in, all of those things. But so with that, Hugh, thank you. Thank you. Like, this has been extremely educational. Um, and it's been an absolute joy to share this office space with you today. <laughs> it's my pleasure. And maybe I'll say too, you know, if if this, these topics are of interest to anybody who's listening, you know, my I am available. My profile is on the UWO website. Um, people are welcome to get in touch if this, these ideas are meaningful to them. And so I do welcome further discussion. That's amazing. We'll make sure to add that link to your to your profile on um, on the podcast. So with that, this has been the GradCast, the official and radio radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I've been your host, Brittany Melton, and my co-host was Laura Munoz Bayana. We've been speaking with Hugh Sampson. This episode was also produced by Laura Munoz Bayana. If you'd like to get involved with the show or get in contact with us, email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Gradcast Radio. To listen to us, we're on Radio Western 94.9 FM. You can also find us all of our episodes on our website at gradcast.ca or on podcast apps like Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Alternatively, select episodes can be find on, uh, found on YouTube at Gradcast Radio. Thank you for listening and have a great night.